Christmas time. I can't believe we're here, right? You say that every year. say that every year. Um, when I was a little kid, I couldn't believe it either, but it seemed to take for forever, though, uh, to, to get here. Um, I remember it was shortly around Thanksgiving, I guess we got the Sears catalog. Remember the good old Sears catalog way back when? Forget the internet. And you would go through it and the wish book and I would circle. Now my, my dad grew up on the wrong side of the tracks. Very, very poor family. Uh, therefore, at Christmas time for us kids, it was more for my dad, I think, than for us. But boy, we got all kinds of toys. I just loved, loved Christmas. It was a wonderful toy fest, right? Uh, United States will spend annually in imported toys $23.5 billion. Now, the next 10 highest toy importing countries combined will spend $21 billion. So we've got a thing for toys here. I mean, I'm not bashing toys. If I thought when I was a kid that some pastor's bashing toys, I'd be praying against this guy. So I'm not doing that. Um, but, but, but just to, just to remind us that as we get into this season, I mean, this is big business. And so some of the sharpest minds in the country are, there's a conspiracy going on on Madison Avenue, pulling all psychological stops to get into your mind and your heart and your children's mind and heart and ultimately into your wallet to, to bring you to their understanding of what Christmas is supposed to be, which is a, the, whatever the version of Tickle Me Elmo type doll would be this, this year. That's the goal. And so what we're trying to do here is just to have a place where we can come together as the body of Christ to focus on what Christmas really is. And so without us becoming Grinch-ish and boycotting Christmas, we don't want to do that, uh, but just reorganize the values in our mind so that what really is the most important Christmas gift, the one that's the only one that's not destined for the garbage dump one day, the, the one that won't rust or, or fade, the one that changes our lives completely, Emmanuel, God with us. We just want to focus on, focus on that. Now, you, you would think, because we, we got four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and they, they all want to talk, they're all biographies of Jesus, so they're going to talk to us about Jesus, and you would think that they all would start in the same place, but not, not so much. Not at all, as a matter of fact. Matthew, he gives us some things that we would consider Christmas-ish, but before he does that, very first chapter, he gives us a bunch of Hebrew names that we can't even pronounce. And you're going, what's he thinking? And then you, you get to Mark. Mark blows off the whole birth narrative. It, it starts off with Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, grown man, entering into his ministry. You get to John, and John starts off his story of Jesus at the beginning of time. You know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then he'll say, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. So a whole different deal. Now, Luke gives us a lot of traditional Christmas stories, stuff. But even Luke, he starts off with this obscure story of this old Jewish man and wife uh, trying to have a baby. And often you're reading this thing, you're looking for the Christmas story, and you read this and you're going, what is this here for? You know, get me Mary and Joseph in the Bethlehem trip and, and the manger and Frosty and Rudolph and innkeepers and give me Christmas stuff. I don't have time for a Jewish old man. What is this for? What's he doing? He's, he's hard up for copy or what's going on? And I would say this. 
that, that Luke knew what he was doing. And this story of this old Jewish man, and even though you're never going to find Christmas cards with these guys on them, and even though you're not going to find any little figurines at your manger scene, no, they, they, they weren't there. And you're not going to hear any songs about them, most probably at Christmas time. But these, these folk were the first domino in the, the Christmas chain. And so, so Luke starts there. Now, now, let me, as we look at, into this, if you got your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. Or your device, you can turn that on as, as well. Just stay off of Facebook, please. You can shop later. Uh, Luke, chapter 1, verse 1. He says, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. And here's the why. That you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. Now, now just stop for just a second. Notice a couple things. Who is he writing this to? A guy by the name of Theophilus. Now, if you look at the name, you can see Theo, Theos, it's God. It's the Greek word for God. And philos, phileo, that's for love. This, this guy's name means lover of God. And so Luke is writing to a lover of God. But this lover of God, is, he's having a faith issue. He's a lover of God, he is, but he's struggling with his faith because it's just not holding up as much as he wants it to be. It's, he's, he's struggling with it. And so Luke says, I'm writing this, this whole book, for the very purpose that you, that you might know with certainty that your confidence in God and, and the gospel might grow. This is why I'm writing this. And so this is Luke's goal for us as we study this part here for this Christmas season, that our faith would grow because I'm guessing some of you are kind of like this. You're, you're, you're a God lover. You do love God. You do. But we live in a broken world and it's a hard world and stuff comes up and my faith just isn't what I want it to be. I've never met a God lover yet who says my faith is exactly where it ought to be. It's strong. It's there. That's not us. We know our faith is fragile. We got feet of clay and we need to grow. We need to. And so this is written to us. Even the story about this old Jewish man and, and woman, and it starts in verse 5. It says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Now, the days of Herod. Herod ruled in Palestine from 36 B.C. to 4 B.C. Therefore, Jesus was born in 4 B.C. before Christ, Christ was born. Isn't that kind of wild? Yeah, the, the calendar guy screwed up on this one. But, but that's what, what transpired. Days of Herod, tough times for Israel. Very, very, very difficult times. Israel is back in their land. But they weren't ruling themselves. They weren't autonomous. They hadn't been ruling themselves for, for 580 years. At first, they were under the thumb of Persia. Then they were under the thumb of, of, of Greek, Greece, Alexander the Great. Then they're under the, the thumb of Rome, right, right here. And, and the people, generally speaking, the, the Jewish people in Palestine were starving to death. And their kids were, not because they didn't have 
enough money, but because Rome extracted it in their taxes. And so these people had to give their money that they needed to survive, not to pad their 401ks. They, they had to give it to Rome to pay their soldiers who would, who would beat up their young men and abuse their young women. I mean, this was almost like, almost like way back when, when the Israelites were in Egypt with the taskmasters. It was like servitude. It was slavery. It was not a good time. And on top of that, God had not sent a prophet for 400 years. Now, now in the Old Testament, we're going to get this, but follow me for a second. In the Old Testament, whenever God was going to do something, he always sent a prophet. It was always, this guy was his spokesman. It was God's megaphone. It was, it was someone who was recognized by the nation as God's voice. He always sent a prophet, but he hadn't sent one in 400 years. Think about us. That's like 1600. I mean, that's a long time ago. And on top of that, there had been no angelic sighting for 500 years. And there had been no verifiable miracle for 700 years. And so here in Luke 1, these, there, none of these folk had experienced God. These stories of, of Abraham and Moses in the Red Sea and the Ten Plagues and, and David and Goliath and Daniel and the Lions. And that, that was seemingly as far away from them as it was from us. It's just like, who can relate? Yeah, 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 that's what they say. I'm sure that great imaginations help with those stories. I mean, God has been quiet, silent, in a very dark time. And we're praying out to deliver us from Rome. But he's silent. Maybe maybe you've, you've experienced the silence of God. Maybe you've stuck your neck out for him at some point. You stood up for him. You're going to share from him. You stuck... And you would wish that God would just vindicate you. I mean, you, you put it all on the line, but, but silence. Or maybe you've been praying, really sincerely, and, and it, but still, the doctor's ideas were confirmed, and the accident still happened, and, and the cradle broke, and the banker called, and just bad things. And you prayed, you did, and you said, God, you just, I can deal with this if I just know you're here. Silence. Or, or maybe you're, you're going through life and you're trying to live it, but you're getting bombarded with all these uh, anti-God, anti-Bible uh, arguments. And you're standing firm, but inside you're starting to crack. And you're saying, God, I, I, don't, need, I don't need a paragraph. I don't need a sentence. I just need a word. Would you just give me a word, God, please? What, what do you do? With this? I mean, to say that you know your experience, this is part of life. And these folk here experienced the silence of God. What do you do when that, when that kicks in? First Christmas, silence of God. That's our lives. That's how we, we live. We live often. And so you, you got this, this, this story. They're introduced, these, these people, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now, Zechariah was a priest. In the Old Testament, very first priest was a guy by the name of Aaron. He's a relative of Moses. Very first priest. And from that point on, every single one of his male descendants was a priest. And by the time you come to Luke 1, there are 18,000 priests in the nation of Israel. And they're divided, very well organized, right? 24 different divisions. They're named by a, a family head. And each year, each division goes down to Jerusalem and, and they, they, they serve for one week intervals at the temple two different times. So this, this, 
Now, you've got Zechariah here and his wife. Most commentators put them at about 80 years of age. They're there. They're old. They're old. But, but notice, this is, this is intense. It was important who you married as a priest, but it was especially honorable if you could marry in the line of Aaron. So you're from the line of Aaron, and then your wife is from the line of Aaron. You got the pedigree. Listen, it didn't matter here so much how much stuff you had, you know, how much power you had. If you didn't have the pedigree, everyone would still consider you a dog. You were a wealthy dog, you're a powerful dog, you were still a dog. But, but the pedigree mattered, and these guys had it. But they had, they had a, a problem on, on top of that. Well, it says that they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commands, commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. So first of all, they're, they're, they're righteous. God says they're righteous. We're going to find out in a minute. The people weren't thinking that, but God says they are righteous. They're righteous regarding the commandments of God, the priests, right? They, they knew the Bible. They knew the Old Testament very well, and they were seeking to, to be obedient, these folk were. But, and that's an important word, there was, they didn't have a kid. Why this is interesting is because Psalm 127 says that children are a heritage from the Lord. Listen, so I don't have this on the screen. The fruit of the womb is a reward. It says that blessed is the man whose quiver is full. Blessed, approved by God, is the one who who has a lot of kids. The more, the merrier. The more you had, the greater the sign that God was pleased with you, that God was benefiting, that God, God was giving to you, that God loved you, he liked you. If you had a bunch of kids, that's what Psalm 127 says. But what does that mean if you've got none? And so Zechariah and Elizabeth, they... Now, all the people would think, ah, there's a reason why you've got none. You're not telling us something. God knows, but you, no, we don't, but God knows. But they're going to be all too happy to guess and then share their opinions with each other, what it is. But there's something wrong. Now, you need to know, too, I mean, children were like your social security because they're the ones who took care of you when you couldn't take care of yourself. There was no system to do that. It was children. You didn't have children. You were in all kinds of trouble. Uh, the, 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 the children wasn't just someone to love. It was a way you lived on after you died. It was leaving your, your legacy. It was a sign of God's approval. And these guys just didn't have it. Here's, here's a principle. Key, 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 key principle. Silence is not... Disfavor. It's important. Silence is not, God is angry with me. This is, no, just kind of stay with me for just a second, because this is, if you are in Him, if you are in Christ, if you are Theophilus, if you are a God lover, you need to know that all of God's wrath and anger at you was poured out on Jesus on the cross. He's got none left over. There's none for, if you are in Christ, you just gotta, you just gotta, gotta know that it's not like, if I'm really good, God will hear my prayers. And God, I earn, see, I, I, I earn God to hear my prayers by my, my righteousness. And if I can be really good, then God will hear my prayers. And if he's not hearing my prayers, then it's probably because I've screwed up. Because people don't just tell us this. We tell ourselves this, don't we? Well, man, I just have been having good quiet time. I wouldn't, I wouldn't answer my prayers either if I was God. And I got that anger issue. And I wish I didn't, but I kind of do sometime. And, yeah, there's no reason why God should answer my prayers. And we can go on and on and on because we all stumble in many ways. 
reality is. If there's silence, it's not a sign of disfavor. It's not a sign of God's anger. Because here you've got Zechariah and Elizabeth. They are righteous. They are blameless. And everybody thinks that they're horrific sinners. But, but they don't have a kid all the same. Scripture tells us, and we don't have the time to get into this too much, but Scripture paints this tension really clear. We've got Proverbs. And the theme of Proverbs is, you reap what you sow, therefore be careful what you reap. That's Proverbs from beginning to end. You reap what you sow, which is generally true. But then Scripture also has Job, where the theme of Job is, not always. Not always. And so you've got this tension that we live with. And certainly Zechariah and Elizabeth understood this. And probably for us, this is one of the greatest attacks on our faith. We're, we're trying, we're serving, we're God lovers, and yet silence. What's, what's the deal? What's the deal? Well, if you go on, on with the, the, the story. Um, now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, He was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. A couple things with this incense thing. This is actually kind of an important deal. Uh, Exodus 30, when this whole incense thing is prescribed, it says this. It says, if you misuse the incense, you'll be struck down dead. Uh, Zechariah knows that in the old, we see in the Old Testament, Nadab and Abihu, a couple of priests who misused incense and they were killed like that. Uh, he's the priest, right? He knows the scripture. He knows Uzziah, the king, walked into the, the, the holy place and he started messing around with the incense and suddenly leprosy broke out on him. He was a leper for the rest of his life. And so Zechariah knows this is big stuff. And on top of that, all priests didn't get to do this. I mean, I mean, very, very, very few actually had this honor. And in the way that the temple worked, you all can remember the, from your, your previous Sunday school days, you had two rooms in the temple. You had a, a most holy place, they called it, and the holy place. And there was a, just a big curtain separating the two. In the, in the holy place, nobody went in there. High priest went in there once a year for a short time. That was it. Almost, so 364 days a year, our calendar, the holy place is nobody's in there because that symbolized the presence of God. We were not able to be in the presence of God. But in the, the holy place, that other room, the priests went in and out of there all day. And one of the things they would do is they would go up to the curtain that separated the two rooms and there was a, an altar there. And what they had done is they went to the out. The, in the courtyard, there's a place where they sacrifice the animals. They, they grabbed some of the coals in a frying pan looking thing. And they walked in, took a handful of the prescribed special recipe incense. And they went in and they put the coals on the altar of incense. And then they dropped the incense on it. And when they did, it smoked up. Now when it smoked up, the priest would pray a prayer of, of redemption of Israel. It'd be kind of like what Simeon was praying, looking for the consolation of Israel. Lord, we're your people, we're, but Rome is messing us up. We're, we're all lost. Will you, will you redeem us? Will you send the Messiah? Okay. Well, outside the temple, all of the worshipers would gather. And as soon as they saw the smoke coming out, they knew it was time to pray. And so they're praying with him. Now, this happened twice a day 
every single day. It had been going on every single day for 1,400 plus years. So, I mean, this is a, is a regular thing. And then the priest would come out and he'd bless the people and sacrifice. They did this every morning. They did this every evening. So Zechariah gets to, to, to do this. I mean, this is a big, big thing. You can do it once, but it's just big. So he goes in. He offers the, the, the incense. What happens? So it says, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, for fear fell upon him. The word for fear is terror. He is frozen. He's terrorized. Uh, what, 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 he, there's been no angel sighting for 500 years, right? So this is, this is a new thing to him. So he's, he's kind of freaking out, just as you or I would be. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. For your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for the will for it will be great he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or st- strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now, now, this, what the angel said, we're, you know, interesting. But this thing is, every line in here is, is, is an inference to some Old Testament prophecy. Now, let me, let me bounce back for a second. Because we know that there are Old Testament prophecies for the coming Messiah. There are, there are, there are, there are tons of them, tons of them, over 200 of them. But there are also, we don't get into this, but there are also many prophecies for this last Old Testament prophet. Because remember, every time God's going to do something, he sends a prophet. And, and he sends his mouthpiece. And, and this, this idea of, of, of this prophecy that when the Messiah comes, just before he comes, he's going to send a prophet. And all of these words that the angel uses are, are Old Testament inferences, prophecies about This coming prophet of God. And the angel's telling him, Zechariah, it's starting. Your son, you're going to have a son, your son. And he's going to be the very, he's going to introduce the Messiah to to Israel. He's going to set the table for the Messiah. He's going to instigate this massive revival in Israel. Your son's going to do this. And it's, you would think Zechariah would be going, wow, this is cool. Like high-fiving or whatever, dancing with the angel. But what does he do? No, no, he doesn't do that, does he? Doesn't respond that way. Let me see, make sure I'm in the right place here. He says, "Uh uh-huh, yeah. How shall I know this? I need a sign uh, because I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. I don't know how you got in here. I don't know how you got the glowing thing going on. But obviously you're clueless. You don't understand because we couldn't have a child 45 years ago when the window was open for us to have a child. We certainly can't have a child today. And so you're kind of you're off. What do you mean? What do you mean going to have a child? What are you talking about? I need a sign. 
And, and you, you got it. You got it. He's Theophilus loves God, but he just he believes in God, but he does not believe God. And so, so, so he gets the angel really ticked off. I mean, Gabriel gets kind of goes ballistic here on him. And so Gabriel says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Don't you think God knows your age for crying out loud? Don't you think God knows your medical condition? Is it just possible that because of your age and because of your medical condition, that's why this is going on? You ever think about that? What do you mean? You want a sign? What? I'm an angel. I mean, what else kind of, what other kind of sign do you want? You, you want a sign? All right, here you go. No speaking for you, buddy. You can't say anything faithful, nothing at all. You know, pff, abracadabra, you're done. And so he's, 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 he's nothing, right? He shuts up. He's done. Second principle is this. God hears every prayer. His timing is perfect. Zechariah and 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 Elizabeth, if you think about this, let me ask you, let me back up, let me ask you. What do you think Zechariah was praying for in the temple? Keep in mind, he's 80 years old. Now, when you listen to the angel here, you'd think, oh, he's praying for a baby. You're 80 years old, you're praying for a baby? Yeah, no, probably not. Now, he prayed for a baby, no doubt. They were righteous. They knew, Blessed is he whose quiver is full. They, many, many years ago. But God didn't answer. You know, just, be, don't, just because he doesn't answer our prayers immediately doesn't mean he's not going to answer our prayers. And these guys just wanted a baby. They just wanted one of these 18,000 priests. But, but though t- God's time is, is, is wild. He says, you just wanted a baby. But we're talking beyond anything you can think or imagine here. I'm going to give you not just a baby, not just a priest. I'm going to give you the last Old Testament prophet. I'm going to give you somebody who, who wanted to see what Isaiah saw. I'm going to give you a prophet who, who wanted to hear the, the words of the Messiah like Jeremiah and Daniel did. I'm going to give you somebody who, like Haggai or Micah or, or Malachi, wanted to, to be a part of this, but they couldn't. But your, your son, the last prophet, he will. God's time is huge. And we just want to realize, I just need to keep this in my mind. That just because God doesn't answer me right now doesn't mean he's not going to answer me. God hears every prayer, every prayer, even prayers we've forgotten. God does not forget like we forget. Every prayer is going to be part of his economy. I don't know. I don't know, obviously, how it all works out. But that's the issue of trusting him and looking to him. Having faith in him. Well... Uh, it says in verse 21, and the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple because as soon as they saw the smoke poof, it's a, you know, it wasn't like a two-hour prayer. It was a prescribed prayer. It should have been in and out pretty quickly, but he kept hanging out in there. What's going on? So they're wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service well, it was ended. He went home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. 
A third principle that we see is that when God is silent, we are to trust and be faithful. I was in uh, Moody, freshman year, had a girlfriend, uh, sweet girl. Uh, She was in the the chorale. I was in the concert band. Moody has four touring groups, at least they did back then. Men's glee, women's glee, chorale, concert band. Uh, everyone else at spring break gets to go do the spring break stuff, go to Florida. But if you're in one of the touring groups, your whole spring break, uh, the two plus weeks, is you tour different parts of the country. You're representing Moody, trying, really trying to recruit people, just so you know. But, but either way, that's what, that's what we did. Well, well, this girl and myself, we determined that we would write each other every day. Now, this was before the whole cell phone thing. So you actually had to write regular letters and put a stamp in the envelope and mail them, right? And, 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 but we had the itineraries of where the other pe- person was going to go, where their groups were going to be. And so we started writing letters ahead of time. So by the time their bus pulled up into First Baptist Church or whatever, the letters had already arrived. And one of the persons from the group would go in and he was, he was designated or she was designated the mail person. And they gave him the mail and they distributed the mail to everybody. And so for the first week, it was really kind of cool. Because we would get together for mail distribution, and there would always be a letter to Mark. And it had special envelopes, you know, that kind of stuff, and smelled pretty. And everyone's like, oh, Mark, oh, Mark. And it's like, yeah, what do you do? And it was going great. I just love this. I was writing her. She was writing me. But second week, something bad happened. And I remember, I went to that meeting, and, and everyone's like, oh, Mark's going to get another one. Mark's, but he doesn't call my name. No letter. And all the people start, oh, <laughs> she, you better be careful. She's dumped you, buddy. <laughs> I'm getting nervous, right? I'm thinking, I know what's going on. Next, next day, no letter. Next day, no letter. And I'm thinking, oh, she was, I bet she's sitting on the bus next to that baritone. I bet that's what's going on. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And they're playing footsie and they're talking. Oh, yeah. I can see where this is going and just forget about old Mark. Off with the old. I'm with the, with the mice. And, you know, I got it. I got it all figured out. So I'm building this thing in my head. And she wants to play this game. Well, two can play this game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember that girl was wanting me to take her to let me take, eat cake? I'm going to go sit next to Holly. She's a drummer. I'm going to sit next to her, man, on the, on the bus. And I, I'm, I'm not writing her this my girlfriend, any more letters? No, 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 not at all. I interpreted the silence one way. Last day. Yes, yes, yes. Why does this always happen to me? Last day, the male person comes up to me with a stack of letters that she had written me, but for whatever reason, he had forgotten to give to me or misplaced or whatever else. And I thought, oh, no. And we do the same thing with God. We do, you know we do. He doesn't, he doesn't answer my prayers. I got silence going on. And oh yeah, God, you want to be like that? I mean, I was given everything for you and you want to be like that? Well, fine, two can play this game. You're going to ignore me, I'm ignoring you. And we're going we're to like show God, like that's really something really good. I'm, I'm, not, I'm just not going to come to church anymore, read my Bible anymore, think about you anymore because we're all done. We do this kind of thing, don't we? We do this kind of thing. We act like little kids with God. And, and here's the principle here. That even though Zechariah and Elizabeth, they, they couldn't, you think that they figured out why they didn't have ch- children? You think it didn't hurt? Well, Elizabeth said, she, he took away my reproach. That's disgrace. That's pain. They hurt through this old silence. But yet, they were still blameless. And they still went to the temple and were still serving. And, 
God's silence is not an excuse for us to abandon the faith. And I don't know what kind of silence you might be in right now. You had a kid go off the rails and and you've been praying and praying and praying. Silence. And how about the medical deal? And you've got the word from the the doctor and you've been praying and praying and you see other people, but but they're getting healed, but nothing's happening for you. And and, and silence. Or maybe you're seeing other people meet the love of their their life and you wish, you know what, I wish this could happen for me. But nothing, silence in your brain. And maybe you wish you had a job that you could really provide for your family, but you don't and you're praying, God, please, I'll do anything. Silence. What do we do when we face the silence? I know what we can't do. We can't abandon our faith. Can't go, hey, well, we got to keep in mind silence. Can't equate silence with absence. We, God is just as close to us today as he ever was or ever will be. He's not really close to us when we get to heaven. He, he's God. He's always as close to us today as he ever will be. And so we trust him. God, I don't know how it all works. I trust your timing. Yeah, there's hurt. Yeah, there's tears. But I trust you. I'm faithful to you. I pray for myself. I pray for y'all that during this Emmanuel series, that we will do Luke proud. That as we focus on what God has for us in his word, that we'll know with certainty. That means that our faith will grow, that our confidence in him. Wouldn't it be cool at the end of this holiday season, our understanding of the greatest gift, Emmanuel, God with us. It's just it's shining a little bit brighter. It's a little bit more real in our heart. It's directing our lives just a little bit more. That's, that's the goal. That's our prayer request between now and then. So would you pray with me even now? Thank you, uh, God. We would be so remiss if we didn't say that. We recognize we, we, we fail. And how many times have we... Uh, In our anger, in our uh, frail ignorance, misinterpreted silence. Lord, we know you love us. We know your goal is and has always been Emmanuel to be with us. So I pray for myself and my brothers here, especially those who might be in the middle of, of experiencing your silence right now. God, would you strengthen their faith? Would you, would you do for us... What what Luke desired is we would look at your word. Would you strengthen our faith? Would we be people who love you? But people who love you with a stronger perspective, more confidence in you. I would pray that would be so. And God, for this offering we're about to take now as well. Thank you for the privilege of the opportunity to be able to do this. We know a lot of folk just can't and you've given us this opportunity. May we honor you with it. May you use it, God, for your kingdom's sake here and abroad in Jesus' name. Amen.